This morning in Dig Down Deeper, this is the introduction. The title of the message is called The Principle of the Yoke. The Principle of the Yoke. Now that's not Y-O-L-K, the yellow part of the egg, but it's Y-O-K-E, okay? A yoke, and we're going to talk about that. What is a yoke? Okay, if if you're a gym person and you're into lifting and a bodybuilding, we talk about guys that are really jacked, that are muscled out. We talk about he's yoked, or, or not so much she's yoked, but he's yoked especially. Um, and those are two different ideas. But this morning, the one we're going to be talking about is the piece of equipment that an ox or a burden-bearing animal would wear in order to pull something in order to move an object, in order to plow a field, in order to pull a cart or a wagon. Uh, some work was accomplished because of, an, of a yoke that an ox would wear. So the principle of the yoke is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Um, I know you were just seated, and I don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time. This will give you kind of an opportunity to stretch a little bit before we get really comfortable in our seat. And find a screen. Let's read this text out loud, everybody. Here we go. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my, there it is right there, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my Yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Okay, so we're going to unpack that this morning, bring some clarity to what that means. Our one thing, I want you to say with me, then I'm going to let you sit down. One thing, here we go. It's one thing to come to Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. It's something more to learn from him and find the way of life. That's the difference between a believer and a disciple. It's one thing to come to Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. He says, I will give you rest. It's something more to learn from him and find the way of life. That's the rest, he says, that you will find for your souls, okay? So there's a rest that is given and there is a rest that is found, and they're not the same thing. He says, that's the difference between a believer and a disciple. Bow your hearts with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you today for your blessing that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you because of your mercy and your goodness that's been poured out upon us. We who deserve death are made alive in Christ. Thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you today that you show us and begin to unpack for us what it means to follow Jesus, to walk with Jesus to work with Jesus, to watch Jesus move in our lives. We ask you today, Holy Spirit, that you would be our hearts and our ears and our eyes and that we open those. We ask you today to bring to bear in our thinking and our understanding, Lord, in our conviction, what it means to decide to follow you, not just to to say, Lord, thank you that you've saved me and sent me to heaven when I die. But Lord, right now, I want to I be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to dig down deeper. Show us what that means, Lord. We'll be careful to give you the praise. We need you more than we've ever needed you before. It is in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. As you're seated, turn and welcome somebody. Tell them, glad to see you today.
It's one thing to come to Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. It's something more to learn from him and find the way of life. That's the difference between a believer and a disciple. Now, Jesus nowhere in the scripture commanded us to make Baptists. Nowhere in the Bible did he command us to make Pentecostals. He didn't say go and make Catholics. And you can fill in the blank for all of the other multitudes of tribes in the body of Christ there are. He didn't say go and make believers. As a matter of fact, he didn't even say go and make Christians. He said go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples are followers. Disciples, mathetes, Greek word, literally means someone who attaches to the lifestyle and does life with a teacher and learns how, learns the philosophy, the teaching, the ideology, the theology of a particular teacher in terms of a way of life. And it's not just about a classroom setting where you sit and take notes, but it's about just doing life together, walking through the marketplace, watching how Jesus treats people, how he responds to difficult situations, how he handles a challenge, how he handles someone who is questioning his authority, always demonstrating love, always showing the wisdom of God. It's one thing to come to Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. It's something more to learn from him and find the way of life. That's the difference between a believer and a disciple. Now, I'm not saying there's a, a, uh, an elite group, a kind of a special forces of Christianity. I'm not saying that, that you know, you're a Navy SEAL in Christ if you're a disciple and you're better than a believer. No, 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 that, not that at all. I just think that God calls all believers to become disciples. We live in an age, probably since the 1950s, in mass crusade evangelism where we've been plagued with the idea of easy believism, where all it takes is just kind of a mechanistic prayer that's prayed, say these words, and you're going to heaven. And we've reduced the gospel merely to a transaction where Jesus did something so I could have a heavenly retirement. And I'm not making fun of, I'm not doing away with, I believe and I long for the reward of a heavenly home. And I want to tell you, I believe that the focus of God is not so much about getting us up there as it is getting there down into us down here. Are you hearing me? Because when he comes, we're going to go with him wherever he goes. All right? Whatever that is, wherever that is. Whatever the place is that he's preparing for us, and I don't think it's so much for us as it is in us, because the design of God is not to get a people into heaven, but to get heaven into a people. And then we can transform osmosis, contagious, infectious, by a spiritual viral infection of a culture so that there can be revival and there can be a change and a transformation and that there will come a time when the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what I believe is ahead of us. That's what I believe is coming. Point number one, the principle of the yoke. What, what is this yoke? Well, first of all, I think it's so important that we, we never miss the hermeneutic principle of context. Context is always key. If you, if you remove a text from its context, its surrounding 
message an idea, whom it's written to, what it is saying, what the words mean, what the language means, the, the idioms, the metaphors, the, the, the comparisons, the similes, the language that Jesus or Paul the Apostle or a prophet in the Old Testament would use. It's important that we, we, we don't just take everything with a wooden literalism you can get yourself in trouble doing that. And if you pull it out of context, you can make the Bible say anything that you want it to say. It, that's how we get cults. That's how we get people that lead folk astray, even with good hearts, but bad theology, bad ideas. And let me just reverse that and say, you know what? You can have your theology right and still have a wrong attitude. And so it's, we want both. We want to have a right heart and we want to have right thinking. We want to learn how to transform. We want to let our minds be renewed by the, the transforming power of the word. And so this morning when we talk about the yoke, let's, let's recognize that Jesus is giving us an idea that's important to identify here. Number one, he is using a concept which is universal through the Middle East. The idea of taking a yoke is not just an agricultural term for an ox. It is not just a piece of leather that is, um, that is in some way attached to wood that enables the ox to harness up and pull a plow through the field and break open the ground so that it's ready to receive seed. It's not just in order to connect the ox or whatever the burden-bearing animal is to a cart or a wagon in order to move a product. But the yoke is the idea of that any teacher, any person who would be a rabbi among the, the Israelite people, among the Hebrews, uh, and even extended further into the Middle East as well, anyone who would identify as someone who can show a kind of living, a way of life, and you want to learn that from them, going to school means just getting up and doing life with them on a daily basis. It means you take the yoke of that teacher. You put that yoke on. And the, the yoke is the idea is that you are going to actually get involved and just do day-to-day -day mundane routine stuff. But you learn how to do it and watch the teacher. You learn how to do it and watch this, this one that Jesus is saying, look, if you are laboring, if you are under a great burden, then I want to say to you, come and take my yoke. He was actually giving the Pharisees and the legalists of his day a harsh slap in the face that it was sort of through the side door. He was saying, look, you guys have been hit with all of this extra stuff that it's not even in the law of God, but they've written all these fence laws into it in order to try to protect you and me and all of us from breaking the laws of God. And so Jesus literally describes those people as experts of the law and Pharisees. And every time he talks to them, he pronounces a curse on them. These are the premier religious folks of the day. They would have had the 8 o'clock slot on TBN. They would have been the one that were broadcasting in terms of the most popular uh, necessarily radio shows or the best podcasts or writing the best books. These were the leading religious experts of the day. And Jesus had more trouble with them than he had with any person, quote, that was caught in a pattern of sin. Now let me just say something. I want to clarify. Scripture says that all have sinned, whether your sin is religious or whether it's out in the world, whether, let's look back to Luke 15 and remember there was an elder brother who stayed in the house 
with his dad, who never left. There was a younger prodigal son, prodigal means waster, who went out and took his inheritance and squandered it on everything you can imagine. Wanton, wild, wild living, prostitutes, wine, drunkenness, all of these things. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that the church has always preached down to the prodigals in the congregation while they don't realize they've got some elder brother spirit sitting right there in the second pew piano side on Sunday morning with a bad attitude who've never gotten to know the father who've never had an access to all of the provision of what it means to live in the father's house and they're still gripped with as much sin the brother is the one who actually came home tasted of sin for a season and was broken in it and came home desperate because he realized how much he needed the father and the crazy thing is the elder brother never realized that he was in church his whole life born in a pew Basically went to sleep under a pew at two, laying on a pallet in church services that lasted forever. My goodness, when I was a kid, they had five-hour church services. And so you brought, the mama brought a pallet and the kids would be asleep under the pew. So I know all about all that stuff. But every church kid that's born under a pew has got to come to a place sometime where he or she recognizes that apart from Christ, we are nothing. And we all are sinners and need, desperately need Jesus. But the folks that were caught in the worldly patterns of sin were never the people that caused Jesus trouble. It was the religious folk who thought they had all of their act together. Somebody say men. So Jesus is saying, come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, he says, and I will give you rest. You have heavy, heavy burdens. He says, take my yoke upon you. Come follow me. Come walk with me. He says, let me teach you. King James says, learn from me. He says, because I am meek and lowly. NLT says, I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So Jesus gives two invitations here. Come to me and learn from me. Sad to say, a lot of people answer an altar call, raise a hand, sign a card, make something of a verbal commitment, and they come to Christ, but they never are taught how to follow Jesus and how to walk with the Lord and learn from him. You know, it's not just a Sunday morning, sit up, look good, wear your best clothes, put a smile on your face, even though you had a fight with your wife and your kids and you wanted to kill them on the way to church. Don't look at me like that. Everybody's been there. I've been there. Some of our best fights were Sunday mornings trying to get the kids ready. And then I, I'm not just going to sit in the pew. I've got to come preach. I know what I'm talking about. Now, the, re the difference in victory in some places, we're not any better, but we, we at least try to keep it real. Okay, the guy up here that's talking is not any better than anybody else, you know, may know a few more principles than everybody else, but still has to struggle, still has to get up out of the bed and put pants on one leg at a time. I know some of you think that I'm spiritual and I just leap to the bed and jump right into some pants, but that's not the way it happens. It's one thing to come to Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. It's something more to learn from him. Let him teach you and find the way of life. That's the difference between a believer and a disciple. Point number two, God has extended an invitation that has unlimited access. We can go as deep into God as our hearts desire to take us. God does not desire just to have a little shallow, tie a knot on the end of the rope, hang on till Jesus comes, get your, he get your heavenly mansion at the corner of Glory Land Boulevard and Hallelujah uh, intersection in the, in the suite by and by. 
on the beautiful Isle of Somewhere, where all of that is, I don't know. But I know this. I know that right now he wants a people who desire to know him and will walk with him. And eternal life is not heaven. John 17 says, this is eternal life, that we may know Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, King James says. God's invitation is, come to me and learn from me. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. I believe that's the the assurance that if I die, I'm going to heaven. And I believe that puts me in a different posture of recognition. But too many folk quit there. They, 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 they experience that, and maybe there is to some degree a life change, but they never actually learn how to take the yoke of Jesus upon them and learn to walk with him. Now, I don't believe that though this has been used in evangelical sermons, or should I better say evangelistic sermons in order to win the lost, I really don't believe the heavy burdens and, and all of this coming to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I don't believe it has to do with the heavy burden of sin. I believe it has to do with laboring to work on how you're dealing with sin. Because everybody's got some. Okay? I believe the labor is our perspective toward the law. The law of God is good and it is holy. And how we use that tool can identify whether or not we are building believers that become disciples or whether we're, we're building outward Pharisees that become good legalists, okay? And we can become a Pharisee in about 24 hours. It, it's very contagious, And we can forget what God delivered us from and we can get a condescending angle in our look, looking down at someone who walks through the church door that is different from us, maybe who has a different set of temptations than we do, and we start to think that we're better than, well, you know what, but at least I never did that. And you know what, let me just help you. When you start thinking that way, you need to rebuke yourself, check yourself, be your own judge and jury, and come back to the Lord and say, God, thank you for your mercy. If it hadn't been for your mercy... I'd be in a sinner's hell right now, every one of us. The reason that I think that the labor and the heavy burdens is not about the weight of sin and it's the weight of how you deal with sin is because Jesus said in Matthew 24, listen, I'm sorry, 23, verse 4, he says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. He says, for they don't practice what they teach. Verse 4, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. It's, It's this outrageous amount of all that this that you have to do in order to please God. And the best thing you can ever do is recognize that nobody in this room apart from Jesus Christ can ever please God's holy demands. And he loves us not because of what we've done. He loves us because of who he is. And he gives us and shares his goodness to us. He says, They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for a show. Wow. It's all on the outside. Another little passage here in Luke chapter um, 11 that I want to 
I want to give you, it says in verse 46, Yes, said Jesus, what sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law, for you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. So it's basically the same thing in the Gospel of Luke. But listen how this expands around this. I want to give you the context. Jesus was speaking. One of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and he took his place at the table. Verse 38 of Luke 11. His host was amazed to see that Jesus, that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Now, I don't know if I could talk that way to somebody who just invited me to their house and had just pulled the steak off the grill. And maybe, I don't know, if they're rebuking me because I didn't go through a hand-washing ceremony, which basically Jesus is saying, guys, you've missed the whole, you know, not that Jesus would say, hey, don't use hand sanitizer. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, yes, clean your hands, but recognize that it's not just an outward cleansing. You need a whole detox from the inside out. Okay, uh, what was that Psalm 51 when David was repenting of his sin with Bathsheba? He said, wash me and I will be clean. And he said, cleanse me with hyssop. And literally that's a purgative. It will, you know what a purgative is? It will purge. It's basically, I, um, I don't want to offend you, but it's, it's spiritual duckalax. Um, X-lax, okay, for maybe a more popular brand. It will basically just kind of move things on through and get, get a clean, fresh start. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. All right. So he says, your Pharisees are so careful. He says, fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. King James says you tithe on your mint and your anise. A-N-I-S-E, it's a little herb. He says, but you ignore justice and the love of God. He says, yes, you should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. It's basically going through the motions for the external show of things is what Jesus is saying. And all of this emphasis has put a laboring heavy burden on the backs of the people of God. Jesus says, get that yoke off of you. Come and take my yoke on you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay? So he goes on to say, what sorrow awaits you for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption that they're stepping on. And then the verse I read to you, what sorrow awaits you, he says, you crush people with unbearable religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. I'm going to get the rest of this, just a couple of verses. What sorrow awaits you for you build monuments for the prophets that your own ancestors have killed long ago. He says, you celebrate their lives and your great-great-granddaddy's the one that threw the stones to kill him. He says, but in fact, you stand as witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets and you join in their crime by building the monuments. Verse 49, this is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute the others. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all of God's prophets from the creation of the world. 
from the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. What sorrow awaits you, you experts in religious law? For you remove the key to knowledge from the people, and you don't enter the kingdom yourselves. And you prevent others from entering. This is what the heavy burden of legalism, the heavy burden of Phariseeism will do to the people of God. And unless you think this is something that only historical, historically plagued the people of Israel, we got people in every church in America that are sitting here with an elder brother, Pharisee, legalistic spirit that's keeping their hearts from being alive in Christ. Come on, somebody say Amen. Jesus was leaving the teachers of the law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. Remember, it was never folks in sin that caused Jesus trouble. They were drawn to him. Jesus was a friend of sinners. It was the religious, churchy people that Jesus had a fuss with all the time. They wanted to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. So between come to me and learn from me, is this idea of take my yoke, come follow me, for I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says, learn from me and you will find rest. Recognize there is a rest that is given. He gives us the gift of eternal life, but there's a rest that is found. Learning how to walk in the ways of God. Learning how to, on a daily basis, not just have an obligation of like a, a faithful Muslim would bow five times a day and pray. And we don't want to get caught in a ritualized kind of a system where we've got to say, you know, three our fathers at different times of the day. But we learn to just live a life of prayer. You're sitting in your cubicle at work or you're driving down the highway to your next appointment or whatever it is that you do in your in your occupation and you just think a prayer, you just breathe it under your breath and you're just asking God, give me wisdom to deal with this circumstance. Show me an answer to deal with this problem, Lord. And in that, you are taking up the yoke of Christ and learning to walk with him. And I promise you, Jesus will show up in your life on a regular basis if you will give him place, acknowledge him, and you will say, help me, Lord. Show me, teach me. He says, learn from me. The New Living Translation says, let me teach you. I love that. Let me. The God of the universe who is sovereign, who is all-powerful, is using the words, let me. How many of you know that there are things that you and I can do that, what is it, Psalm 105, that will limit the Holy One of Israel? God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. But I, I promise you, He is a gentleman. He is not going to bowl you over and make you do something you don't want to do. But he wants us to have hearts that hunger after him. What was that the, the Song of Solomon says, draw me after you and let us run together. So that, I, I believe that we have a God who loves to be pursued. That he wants to see that we're hungry for him. That our passion and our hearts and our desires are after him. That we're not just going through religious motions and getting a gold star by showing up to a worship service on Sunday morning or, 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 or whatever kind of thing or doing your daily Bible reading. My goodness, help us, Lord, to get out of an obligatory kind of a situation. This is not what this relationship is about. Help us, Lord, to understand the beauty of just leaning into your presence and just saying, God, I'm weak. Be strong in my life. God, I'm confused. Be clarity and direction in my life. God, I'm in need. Be provision in my life. And just 
every day in the mundane routine things, taking them to the Lord. Does it mean that you're stopping traffic and praying out loud in front of everybody? That's, that's being a Pharisee right there is what that is. That's just for the show. But it means that you are having a willing heart. That Otherwise, how can you obey what Paul commanded us, pray without ceasing? Nobody can do that 24-7. But you can remain in an attitude of prayer. You can remain in an openness to the things of God. The, the issue about learning is, is there has to be a willingness. Teachers get up every day in classrooms. Good, sharp, prepared, witty, inventive. Teachers get up in the classroom every day to, to, to change and transform the minds of young students. And there are those that will get it and there are those that never will. And the difference is the willingness of the two. Are you willing to learn? Are you, really, are you recognizing that there are things you don't know and things that you need to know? I was talking to uh, Stephen and Connie Sorrells yesterday after coming in from a bike ride around the farm loop and, 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 and we were all saying that, you know, having done some extended uh, postgraduate work that it really helped us to realize what, going through that was not so much of what I know but just at that point recognizing how much of this vast body of knowledge that I've never even seen. I'm not acquainted with how much I don't know. And I think learning to lean into Jesus and getting the knowledge of the Holy One, the Scripture says that's the beginning of wisdom. And that's what we need. We don't just need unnecessary facts that we can recite at parties, but it's, it, it, it's the recognition that God will give us wisdom on how to use knowledge, to use the tools that He's given to us. And we do that by... Asking him with a willing heart. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men without finding fault, James 1 says. It, it means I must have a self-awareness. I must recognize that there's something that I don't know and I need to know. As I bring this message down to a close this morning, let me just give this to you from the message. I love it from Eugene Peterson's The Message Paraphrase. He says, are you tired are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me and get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I saw a little meme on one of the social media platforms this week, and the guy's sitting in a car, and his wife is on the passenger seat, and the husband, they're, they're not driving, but he's stopped, and he says, my wife treats me like a god. And he smiles, and she says, mm-hmm, next to him. Wife nods and says, uh-huh. The husband says, she pretends I don't exist and only talks to me when she wants something. <laughs> and so I would ask you this morning, is that descriptive of my relationship? Is that how I treat God? Or do I have a relationship where I walk with him, where I'm learning from him, where I'm learning the unforced rhythms of grace? It's one thing to come to Jesus and receive the gift of eternal life. It's something more to learn from him and find the way of life. That's the difference between a believer and a disciple. Last point, and it's real quick, I'm finished. I want to ask the question, what did Jesus do? 30 years ago in the 90s, we had the, 
the rise of the popularity of Christian jewelry and it was a fish and it was a WWJD. What would Jesus do? And it's not a bad thing. It came from Charles Sheldon's book that he wrote back, I think, in the 1920s called In His Steps. And he led his congregation through a season of just asking the question, having taught them the gospels, what Jesus did, then he was saying, okay, now that you know what Jesus did, whenever you're in a set of circumstances, you don't know what to do, ask the question, what would Jesus do? And that's where that came from, from 70, 80 years prior in a Bible-based congregation where a church, where a pastor showed his people who Jesus was and how he responded. But this morning, I believe that we've lost that anchor. We've lost that mooring of really having an awareness. I, I think in the last 20 years of this 21st century, there's been a disconnect in the evangelical church of just remembering that our, our Savior is a brown-skinned healer who empowered women, and he lifted up the rejected, and he turned the tables of oppression over. And he was not about outward shows. And he was not about maintaining power just to prove who he was. As a matter of fact, he laid down all of his divine power and he became, he was born as a man, as a baby. A man in such a vulnerable form and grew up literally and took on himself the form of a servant. One one translation says the form of a slave. He became a slave so that we could be free. He became... The Son of God became the Son of Man, so the sons of men could become the sons of God, is a famous Martin Luther quote. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. What did it say in that passage in the message? Walk with me, work with me, watch me. How does Jesus respond? I don't believe we should ask the question, what would Jesus do, without knowing the answer to what did Jesus do? So for the next five Sundays, not today, not tonight, but starting next Sunday, I'm going to bring to you a key spiritual discipline. We're going to talk about how Jesus got up before daylight and went out to a solitary place and prayed. We're going to talk about the power of prayer. We're going to dig down deeper in our spiritual lives and get reconnected to how power, uh, how powerful prayer is and how that it can change your life and your situation. Sometimes it's not as much about getting something, it is about losing something. It's about losing my anger and my bitterness and my lust and my greed. It's about letting God show me his provision and his blessing and his goodness and his love and understanding and helping me give forgiveness to somebody else that needs to have it. We're going to take a Sunday, we're going to talk about fasting. We're going to talk about what it means to employ the spiritual discipline of giving up something for a short season, whether it's food or whether it's the television or whether it's uh, whatever. You fill in the blank. not here to tell you how to do it. I'm going to be doing some fasting myself and seeking the Lord specifically in the month of October, just sort of reigniting some of these spiritual disciplines. And let me just say this to you. You don't do a spiritual discipline trying to earn anything from God because Every spiritual gift is already yours in Christ. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together give the Lord praise. We do spiritual disciplines like Jesus did so that we can stay attuned. We can stay sharp. We can listen. We can discern the difference between all of the voices. 
We go to the Word. We're going to talk about spending time in the Word. We're going to talk about worship. On Sunday nights, we're going to come back and we're going to hear a testimony from somebody that that principle has really touched and transformed their lives. And then we're going to split into four corners with groups as many as 25 apiece or whatever, however many show up. I hope, I wish everybody would come back and we can have... We, 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 can, we can go to other parts of the building and we can have more groups if we need to. But I'm, I'm right now going to start with four. And I've got four great leaders that are going to facilitate those discussions. We're going to have questions that are going to be on the screen, on the wall. Nothing to prepare for, no homework. But it's going to be a great time to share your testimony and what God's done when you prayed and he answered. Or maybe he didn't answer and the answer was delayed and what you learned in the process how you fasted from something and God brought a breakthrough, how you've worshiped and his presence showed up, how you spent time in the word and he brought understanding and clarity to a direction you were to go in. And so those are some principles that we do not to curry God's favor. We've already, we already have that. That's what his grace is. We also want to help our own minds and our bodies and our flesh to stay under subjection so that we can do what God has called us to do. Somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise. These are privileges and these are not obligations. This is something that, you know what? If you commit to fast all day and you end up breaking it at 4 o'clock, I don't want anybody getting condemned. You made it all day until 4 o'clock. Praise God. And the next time, you can maybe make it till 6 o'clock. And there's not, you don't get a whole band of stars on your lapel because you can go 3 days or 10 days or 21 days. A lot of people do all different kinds of links. And it's not about praying five or six hours. Sometimes it's praying one minute and getting it done and praying it in faith and God shows up. Are you hearing me? Sometimes it's about crying out in intercession and praying for an extended period of time. And what we do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to hear God's voice and to step out in faith and for him to break through. So we're going to talk about prayer and fasting and time in the word and worship and generosity not just in giving finances, but in giving our time and giving our talent and serving other people with their needs. It's about 27 different spiritual disciplines that the Bible talks about, but we're going to hit, a, we're going to hit the major five. There's five big ones. And so each Sunday from now on, we're going to be hitting those, inviting you back at 6 p.m. on Sunday night for a worship time, for time together in the Word and prayer. I'm excited. I hope you'll get within with me and dig down deeper. Everybody say dig down deeper. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Come on, put your hands together. Let's pray together before we dismiss this morning. Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. We come to you and we ask you, Lord, to help us to be teachable. Show us, oh Lord, what it means to learn from you and to take your yoke upon us. God, I thank you that you always extend the free invitation to anyone who has never crossed the line of faith and say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me. I'm a sinner. Be Lord of my life. Very simply, that's turning from your past and repentance and turning toward him in faith. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If there's anything in this message this morning that's resonated in your heart or if you've never cross the line of faith in your own life and you'd like to get that right before you leave this room today. If there's anything at all that you'd like for us to pray for, would you slip your hand up right now? There are different needs in the room. Yes, there's a, there's a hand right there. I see you. Another one there. Yes, anyone else? Pray with me now. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this time together. Guide us, guard us. We turn to you in faith. Jesus, 
save us. Pray that in your heart right now. Pray it in faith. Turn from your past. Say that in God, I turn to you and I ask you to be Lord of my life, my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. All of God's people said, amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning.